Have you ever been abandoned as everybody just walked away? You know what that feels like? You know what it's like when you, you just put it all out there and God's doing something, but people, people don't understand. People in your family don't understand. Your friends don't understand. That's what happens to Jesus in John chapter 6. So let me begin with the end and later end with the beginning. Radical reality. You will get to a point where Jesus will ask you to follow him regardless of the cost. You will get to a point where abiding in him is the only way you can survive. You will get to a point where others will walk away and you will have to examine your soul. If you don't get to any of these points, you missed the point. Once upon a planet, people were trying to figure out how they got here and what they were supposed to do here and where they go from here. They were restless for something and something and longing for something and searching for something. Most of the time, we just live life as it comes. It comes in days and months and seasons. It comes in paychecks and medical records and reckonings. It comes in conversations and disagreements and questions. It comes in promises kept and promises broken. It comes with wanderings from home and finding home again. Life as we live it easily distracts us. But do you find yourself restless? Being restless, you see, is a hint there's something more. Radical truth demands nothing less than radical commitment. And radical commitment is always costly, always. What's the cost, you say? Having second thoughts. You're in or you're out. Are you leaving or staying? On a Friday, the sky will grow dark and you will see the cost. Nothing less is asked of you. It's time to decide how far you'll go for radical truth. Most people wake up afraid of something. And sometimes that something is radical truth. John 6 is just a tough chapter. It's just hard. It's hard to, to read it. It's hard to, to speak about it. It's hard to, to look at Jesus and hear what he's trying to say and understand where it is that he's trying to take these people, where it is he's trying to take us. It's been debated for centuries, back and forth, back and forth. What, what was he talking about? And I'll try to explain to you the secret of John chapter 6 today. Once again, I've divided this, this chapter into acts, like a play, act one, act two, act three. We'll spend most of our time in Act 3, but let's look at Acts 1 and 2. In Act 1, John 6, 1 through 15, Jesus is feeding 5,000 people. You know the story. Five small loaves, two small fish. Everybody likes a food miracle. Everybody likes it when they're hungry and food shows up. The other day, we were going to Williamsburg for our granddaughter's third birthday party. It's a pretty big deal when a, a little kid turns three years old, so everybody's coming out for that party. 
and we're ready to make the, the trip to Waynesburg, but we, we have to get a few things done. And, and I was excited because Gail said to me, when we get to Waynesburg, we'll be there early, so we'll be able to have lunch. I love lunch. It's a great time of the day. It's a time to sort of slow down a little bit, have a great meal, think a little bit about your life. Let's go early. Let's have lunch. So there was, there was a, a sense of expectation, sense of excitement. And then the morning progressed and things happened that weren't supposed to happen. And the, the window for lunch started to close. I could see it closing slowly, closing, closing, closing. And then Gail said when we got in the car, we don't have time for lunch. I was in despair at that moment. I was, I was just ready to just give up on, on everything. No lunch. I can't drive to Williamsburg without the hope of lunch. I can't drive to Williamsburg with no food and then get there. And who knows, when you get to a kid's birthday party, who knows when you're ever going to eat again? So on the way, we had to stop and, and buy a bunch of, of balloons for the party. That was our grandparently job, to buy balloons. So Gail's stuffing the balloons in the car, and I'm thinking about lunch. <laughs> I can't see out the back window anymore. You know, and, and you always look, I kept all the way to Waynesburg, I'm looking at the back window, and that's my view. I see the balloons. And so I'm, I'm there, the balloons are getting stuffed in the car, I'm agonizing over the fact that I'm not going to have lunch. I'm looking at my iPhone, I'm doing my email, I'm wondering, is there an app for lunch? Is there something I can do? I can push a button and lunch will miraculously show up. And then there it was, it happened. I looked up. And right in front of me, right next to the balloon shop, there was a Zeros. I don't even like Zeros. I haven't been to Zeros in years. Then I, I was thankful for Zeros. It was, it was like a, a miracle. I got out of the car. I ran in. I said, give me meatball sub. Just make it a half. Just put it on the bread. Don't put it in the oven. Don't toast it. Just give it to me. I only have three minutes. The people looked at me like I was out of my mind. They knew I was about to lose it. So they got the meatball sub all done, wrapped up. They gave it to me. I paid for it. I ran outside. I got one meatball down. And Gail said, we got to go. I threw the rest away. I got in the car. But that one meatball was a meatball miracle. People like food miracles. Everybody likes a food miracle. And that's what happens in Act 1. It says, when they had all, when they had all had enough to eat, they all ate as much as they wanted. The people then said, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. We like these prophets. We like this deal. Free lunch every day. We will follow you wherever you go. And so then Jesus decides he needs a, a quiet moment. At the end of Act 1, he goes off to a mountain by himself. It's time to think. It's time to pray. It's time to get his, his thoughts in order because he knows what's going to happen. Act 2, Jesus takes a shortcut, John 6, 16 through 24. This is where he, he walks on water. It says that the disciples went off down to the lake, and they got into a boat, and they set off for Capernaum. Uh, it was dark. They, they maybe thought, well, we're not sure where he is, and we figure he'll just probably show up over there. And all of a sudden, a uh, strong wind was blowing, the waters got rough, and they're out three, three and a half miles, and they see Jesus approaching the boat, walking on water. And they were terrified. They were just terrified. Who is this guy? Who are we following? We see miracles. He, he walks on water. He feeds all these people. Water to wine and people are being healed. What is this radical thing that we are somehow a part of? In Act 2, 
the crowd the next day is looking for him. Word has spread. The grapevine was working fast. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Word is out, and there's, they're thinking, there's another free lunch today. There's going to be free lunches every single day. But once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus, really in search of lunch. Act 3, radical truth. John 6, 25 through 69. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Like, oh my goodness, we're just bumping into you again? How, how, how unusual for us to, to bump into you. Rabbi, when did you get here? But Jesus knew it wasn't about that. He knew what was on their minds. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. You just like lunch. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. You think life is all about satisfying physical needs. You think life is about having a job and, and, and having security and your life being cozy and cushy. You think life is about what's in it for me, but it's not about that at all, is it? There's something so much more for you to understand. There's something so much deeper. Back in the early 70s, I had a, uh, an Oldsmobile Cutlass, uh, and that was a pretty cool car, a muscle car. And I bought it off a guy used, and, and, and the coolest thing about that car was the way it looked, because it didn't run. Uh, I, was always, I was always getting stuck somewhere. I was always calling my friend, you know, come please pull me out of a ditch. Come please start the car. The car just doesn't work again. And, and, and this particular friend that, that I had, he was really very, very tired of me calling him. So I decided I'll sell this car to an unsuspecting 17-year-old who just got his driver's license, which I did. Hey, see you later. The kid drives out of town over the railroad tracks. The entire exhaust system fell out of the car. His father made him call me. I had to pay for the exhaust system. The best thing about that car was the way it looked. Everything else underneath wasn't really working. And so often the best thing about our lives is the way they look kind of on the outside, but underneath they're not really working. And Jesus is trying to give us radical truth so that what's on the inside is really going to work. Don't work for food that spoils or the stuff that on the outside looks good, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? And what they're really saying is, what do we gotta do so we can get lunch? Jesus answered, the work of God is this. And they've got their notebooks out and they're ready to write this down, because this is it. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And watch what they do here. So they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give us, will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. He just did a miracle. They are so caught up on, on their lives being secure, on their lives being 
cushy on them being in control. They're so caught up with we want another lunch that now they're demanding that he show them something so that they will maybe, if they feel like it, believe in him. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, bring it on. From now on, give us this bread. Let's have lunch. Let's have sandwiches. This sounds good to us. They just didn't get it. God is there. The whole concept of what God did in ancient times with the manna was, was there. They, they knew the scripture, but they missed the whole point. And so often God is standing right in front of us and we miss him, miss the whole point where we're, we're reading scripture and it's right there before our eyes and we miss it. Little boy's in the first grade and he, uh, he's going to school, school year starts and his mother's walking him to school every day. And so finally, like first grade boy would do, he says, Mom, you don't need to walk me to school anymore. I'm a big boy. Not Please, the other kids are kind of making fun of me. Don't, don't walk me to school anymore. I can go by myself. And so the mother says, okay, I'm going to let you walk to school by yourself. But she's a mom. So she's got to cover her bases. She's got this little squirrely idea about how her friend lives a couple blocks away. And she's got to walk her second grade daughter to school anyway. And he doesn't really know them. And so... Uh, she calls her friend and says, hey, would you just keep your eye on my son as he walks to school? He wants to walk by himself, but I, I, I can't let him do that. You watch him, then call me when he gets to school so I'll feel better, just like a mom would do. So this happens the first day. This happens the second day. This happens the third day. We're into the second week, and, and, and little Johnny's walking with his friend Jimmy, and, and, and Jimmy's kind of getting wise to something going on, and he, 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 he says to Johnny, he goes, what's the deal with these? Who is that that's following us to school every day? And Johnny says, oh, that's just Shirley Goodnest and Marcy. He says, Shirley Goodnest and Marcy? What are you even talking about? Who, who is that? He says, well, it's something my, my mom reads this to me every night when I go to bed. Shirley Goodnest and Marcy will follow you all the days of your life. <laughs> Let's just pray and go home. Because it's going to get really hard after this. You can read the scripture and just not get it. They, they are right there. They don't get it. From now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Remember what he told the woman at the well? It's not like he changes this every single day. He's trying to get them to understand there's something so much bigger out there. Will you believe? But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He taught them to pray that way because that's how he lived. I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. 
And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life, everlasting life. John wrote that. We read it already in John chapter 3. At this, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Who, who does he think he is? Come on, we've, we've known him since he was just a, a little kid. What's he, talk, what's he trying to pull off down here? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. And he quotes Isaiah 54, 13. They will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. This is radical. This is radically different from anything that they were ever thinking about before. They, they understood about God and they understood about who God was, but for God to, to be here and for God to be making this offer now, it's just, it's just it's mind-boggling. And there's a principle there that it's God the one that is drawing. If people are, are, are looking, for, if they're yearning for something, if they're restless, God will pick up on that restlessness. He'll begin to, to woo people back to himself. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. You'll finally understand who Jesus is. When I was searching and lost and lonely and I couldn't figure life out, over a six-month period, God drew me in and presented me with his son. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. The clue phone is ringing, and it's for you. Don't you know that if all you do is eat lunch, you still die? You're, you're so excited about the manna. They ate the manna and they died. There's got to be something more. Aren't you looking for something more? But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And now it gets really, really hard and it gets strange. And all of a sudden people are, are trying to figure out, what are you talking about? This bread is my flesh which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And everything at that moment is just up in the air for these people. And Jesus has laid it on the line. And this has been debated for century upon century. What is he saying? What's he trying to say? What's he talking about? And between verse 53 and verse 54, something happens, though. There's a, there's a shift. 
The verb changes. The verb to eat changes. Verse 54, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him, just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. What was he saying? You don't understand it unless you see that there's a shift. It's debated in theological circles over centuries. What was he saying? But you see in verse 53, he's saying to eat. In verse 54, he's saying something totally different. He's a masterful teacher. He is masterful with his words. And he's, he's set these two words that mean to eat in juxtaposition so that you will understand exactly what he's trying to say. You see, the one word, uh, the way I would translate it is, is fast food, to eat, just to eat. I call it just fast food. You go to Wendy's, you drive through, fast food. You eat in your car, you eat by yourself, you're alone. There's not a whole lot happening. You drive through Wendy's with your family. French fries are flying, wrappers are all over the place, stuff's being spilled, ketchup is everywhere. It's a mess. You're just eating fast food. But the other way that he's talking about is, is more akin to the idea of fine dining. Oh, there's a big difference between fast food and fine dining. Let's say you want to date somebody. So you go, okay, I'd like to ask you out for, for a date. Let's go with first, first date. We're going to Wendy's. Drive through. Second date, we're going to McDonald's. Drive through. Third date, we're going to Burger King. Drive through. Fourth date, we're going to do Kentucky Fried Chicken. Drive through. Fifth date, it's not you, it's me. It's over. It's over. It's a, it's a fast food debacle. It is done. It's like a Redskins game. It is done. It's like the Texas Rangers. You are done. Albert Pujols. It is over. Man. You, you know. But let's say you turn it the other way and you go, first date, first night. I'd like to take you to Aldo's. Goes pretty well. Second night, I'd like to take you to La Bella Italia. Third night, like take you to Il Giardino. Fourth date, you're married. <laughs> you have spent so much time with this person. This person knows you better than anybody else in the world. And you know, this person is going, nobody's ever talked to me for this long ever in my life. I feel close to you. That's the difference. Guy comes up to me after the first service. He goes, you know, if you went to those three places to eat by the fourth night, he said, you would be broke. I said, you understand marriage. (laughs) But that's what Jesus is saying. He's going, you can't hit and run on this stuff. It's not about lunch today and worrying about lunch tomorrow. It's not worrying about what are you getting out of it and you're cozy little lifestyle. It's a radical proposition. If you give me everything, I give you everything and more than you could ever imagine. For eye has not seen, 
nor ear heard what God has prepared for those who love him. Jesus knocks on the door in Revelation chapter 3, and he's not knocking on the door of somebody who doesn't know him. He's knocking on the door of the church. He's saying, if you'll open the door and come in, I will dine with you, and you will dine with me. Let's slow this thing down. Let's get to really know each other, because if you live life really fast, you really don't get to know him. That's what he's saying. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, here's the response. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? I'm out of here. This isn't worth a free lunch anymore. He's asking for too much. He's, he's, he's losing it. I can't, I can't go on with this. And his group of disciples was, after the 12, there were about 70 people that would kind of be his entourage and follow him around. And so it's from that 70 that they're going, uh, it's, it's over, we're done. It was good while it lasted. Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? You ain't seen nothing yet. The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. There's something so much more that's right here, and you are missing it because you're worried about stuff that'll make your life feel better just for a couple of moments. And then here's the secret of the whole passage. All of John 6 hangs right here. The words I have spoken to you are spirit, and they are life. This is your life. It all is right here. This is life. You want to know the meaning of life? You want to know the purpose of life? You want to understand what life is all about? It's not a theological debate about transubstantiation and consubstantiation. Transubstantiation says the, the bread and the, and the wine, the bread and, and, and the, the cup are mystically transformed to be the actual body and blood of Jesus Christ. He wasn't saying that. He says it right here, what he's saying consubstantiation, the, the, the elements of communion are, are somehow Jesus is, is present up close right next to the elements. He's not even saying that. That's not the point. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. If you want life, you've got to be intimately acquainted with me. I am the vine. You are the branches apart from me. You can do nothing. That's the secret that unlocks John chapter 6. Verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. So he turns to the 12. You do not want to leave too, do you? What a moment. You, are you going to leave me too? Are you going to abandon me? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. And finally, Peter understood who surely goodness and mercy were. He understood the story. He got it. Radical reality. So let me now end with the beginning and begin with the ending. You will get to a point where Jesus will ask you to follow him regardless of the cost. You'll get to a point where abiding in him is the only way you can survive. 
You'll get to a point where others will walk away and you will have to examine your soul down to the very dregs of your soul. If you don't get to any of these points, you missed the point. Radical truth six. Radical truth demands nothing less than radical commitment. And radical commitment is always costly, always. What's the cost, you say? Having second thoughts? You're in or you're out. Are you leaving or staying? On a Friday, the sky will grow dark and you will see the cost. Nothing less is asked of you. It's time to decide how far you'll go for radical truth. Dear Heavenly Father, you just put it all out there. You came into the world through your Son and you laid it all on the line. And when you did that clearly and radically, people walked away. But some stayed, some believed, some embraced a radical truth. Help us to embrace it now. Help us to live above comfort and beyond coziness and far past what's in this for me. Help us to to want to help you build the church and sustain the church and let the church be a light in the world and a hope in the world. Father, help us to reflect Jesus Christ into all the dark places around us. Help us when others walk away and abandon us to realize that you will never walk away or abandon us. Father, in all these things, allow this radical truth to order our days. For we ask this in Jesus' name.